I just want to share with you a couple things here. Um, and and I, I was thinking about this this week, and I was doing some, I, I was doing some marriage counseling, but um, and so this kind of really really got me thinking about some stuff because marriage counseling really is. I'm not so sure how to word it. It's like marriage counseling to me is like living by the Bible. I know that sounds ideal. It sounds like like castles in the sky or whatever. But as you're going to see, it really is. Marriage and relationships. I don't, want to, I don't want you to tune out if you're not married or if you're not in a relationship. Because to me, it's about relationships and marriage. It's the same thing. Marriage is just is a lot closer. Obviously, a, a, a lot more in, intense relationship, right? But, but it's really about relationships, so I don't want you to tune out. But we're in a series called Rooted, and I can't think of a better time to talk about this. Uh, in Colossians 2, uh, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, as we've been using these, it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. And that concept that we're talking about is being rooted and built up in Him, drawing our nourishment up from Him, establishing the faith just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. And the psalmist says when we spend time in God's law, when we meditate on His law day and night, it has profound implications uh, within our walk. And in Psalms chapter 1, it says, How happy is the man who does not follow the vice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight's going to be different. His or her delight's going to be different. It's going to be in the Lord's instruction. It's going to, we're going to find delight in the reading of his word and not just reading it, but allowing it to be applied to our lives and living it out. And when that happens is, when we meditate on day and night, what takes place is we become rooted and built up. We have, we're like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever you do is going to prosper. Now, I don't think that's health and wealth. I believe that is the implications of what happens when we meditate and fixate on the Word of God and allow the Word of God to um, develop us into the, into the creation, more into the creation that he's, that he's already created us to be. Does that make sense? Instead of fighting it, we become more in harmony with Him and we actually become the person He's created us to be, which then we actually are really receiving what it is that we're truly looking for, which is kind of interesting when we just turn it over to Him. So within marriage, though, uh, you know, I think this being rooted mean, meaning that our relationships look different, okay? Our relationships with our spouses look vastly different. Our relationships with other people look vastly different. So I want us to focus on this concept of relationship, but I'm going to kind of use it uh, kind of in a marriage context, but again, don't just, it's not exclusive to just that. But I would ask this question to you right now, what, and you don't have to answer it out loud, but what is your purpose for marriage? What is your purpose for marriage? It's quite interesting when I sit down with a couple and we start, that question needs to be answered. That question begs to be answered. And what happens is, when we start answering that question, nine times out of ten, we go to a Hollywood definition of romanticism, about being romantic, about feeling loved, about, well, not feeling loved, but about, you know, this concept of being swept off our feet, about holding hands, about touch, and all these other things. What's very interesting is, in the ancient world, it was never, marriage was never viewed that way. That doesn't mean it was sterilistic or anything like that, but it was never viewed the way we view it as this, this sense of, I want to be romanticized. I want to be, I want ro like this sense of romanticness in here. Now, all you guys are smiling, you're like, preach it, brother, you know? The women are like, I hate this message already. But I want you to just listen for a second. 
it wasn't until the Renaissance to where we started reading and seeing the artists and everything take off from this aspect of love and emotion. Okay? Now, the problem with that is when we build our marriages and relationships just on love and emotion, what happens when that love and emotion becomes kind of fleeting at times? We keep looking for the fix. We want the bump, right? We see that in our generation now, in our, in our world now so much, where marriages are not lasting long at all. I mean, the statistics, I don't even know where the statistics are now. Before it was like, you know, within the church and within the secular, it was like five, you know, like 50-50, and now it's, it's, it's blown out of proportion. But what happens is a lot of times we get, we get drugged, we get, we get enticed, we get deceived that our marriage is supposed to be all about this, this, this gushy love and romanticism that Hollywood defines. And when that's not there, it's like, you know what? I think we're done. I think we need to move on. And I hear words like this. I don't love them anymore. I fell out of love. We don't love each other. We don't connect anymore. We're just two different individuals. And that's what you hear. And what they're saying is, my purpose in marriage is to be, I want to be fulfilled. I want to be just overly fulfilled with love and emotion and all these other things. Now, I'm not saying that your marriage relationship has to be divorced of that. I'm not saying that at all, because I think biblically that's going to happen. But the problem is we as humans go about it, go at it a whole completely different way. So then the question becomes, what is, again, what is your purpose for marriage? What if marriage is designed by God for nothing more than growing deeper with God? Now, there's another definition for marriage, isn't it? And everything we read in the Bible, we know from Genesis to Revelation, points to Jesus Christ. This book is about Jesus Christ. Every, everything is about Jesus Christ. Everything. So what if, humor me, what if our marriages, what if our relationships now are based upon taking me deeper in my relationship with God? Have you ever thought about that? What if it is about that? What if it's about me discovering the challenges of marriages? You know, there's opportunities to learn more about God and to learn and understand Him more and to love Him more. Then I have to ask myself this question. How is it that I view God? How is it that you view God? How is it that you relate with God? Do you look at him and say, okay, you know, God's this entity, you know, this this person that I've got to be obedient to, you know, or whatever. Whereas God, you know, in this in this context of relationship, God wants this intimate relationship with each and every one of us, not just fueled from obedience like we have to do these things or this is my relationship with God. But instead, there's this intimacy that is that is fueled that it's fueled by intimacy and not by self-motivated fear. Well, God's going to punish me. God going to he's going to you know he, he's going to cause something bad to happen well this particular situation happened because I'm not I'm not living up to my living up to snuff with God even though there's implications behind our decisions but a lot of times we place those on God as if God's the one that is giving us those implications whereas maybe it's us making decisions that those implications just naturally happen to but God wants this this divine human relationship that is not adhered by principles because God delights in us. God loves us. So what if our marriages, what if our relationships are designed 
to help us to grow deeper in God? Well, first of all, I think we have to we have to determine how I view God. Am I truly in love with God? Is God the most important thing within my life? Maybe God did, you know, uh, plant these marriages. And I want to tell you something. You know, we hear it all the time. We hear it all the time. I mean, we just think about it. Talk about it. God. Just think about it logically. God chooses to put a man and a woman together. Now, we could either say that's God's sense of humor and then add children on top of that, right? But what if, you know, and that's why we hear things and we say, you know, we put we, we come together, a man and a woman, and then, and then we'll hear things like, well, we just don't see eye to eye. Of we're, because you're unique. <laughs> we're each different. You don't have to. And guys, just because you agree with every single thing with each other doesn't mean you have a healthy marriage either. That could mean that one of you is just super whipped and just wants to avoid conflict until Jesus returns, right? Which some of us may say, you know what, that is kind of smart, okay? I'll give you that. It may not be biblical, but I'll give you that it's smart, okay? But my, do you understand my, my point is this. It's, 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 I mean, when we look at marriages and we look at relationships, and again, I, and I'm coming at it from the marriage respect, but there, there, there is a design to it. There is an order to it. But the question comes down, how do I define the purpose of marriage? Because if it's all about me, and this is where we're going, if it's all about me, it's not going to work. God gives us this ministry. Paul talks about this ministry of reconciliation. And we read about this in 2 Corinthians. Uh, and I'll get to it here in just a second. But this concept of ministry reconciliation, there's a story, and this is just a legend. Uh, it's like a, a legend that was shared by the the rabbis, and, and I don't know how, I don't know if it's still a legend or whatever, but I ran across, and there's this legend that, that talks about these two brothers that were in the farming business together. And this is way back, I mean, like way back in Genesis time, way back in the ancient world. And they had a farm together. One of, them, one of the brothers was married and had a family. The other one was single and did not have a family. And so the story goes as they farmed together, as they farmed together, they would take whatever, whatever they would bring in, they would take it and they would literally split it 50-50, okay? Right down the line, 50-50. Well, the guy, the brother that was single, looked, you know, in his mind started thinking about his, other bro his brother who had a family, and he said, you know what? This, he needs more than I need. At the end of the day, he's got, he's got more responsibilities, he's got more mouths to feed, he's got more... Uh, you know, kind of at stake there than I do. I'm just single. And so he would get up in the middle of the night and he would take a lot, he would take a lot of his grain and he would take it over to his brother's grain bin and he would put it in there. Well, unbeknownst to him, his brother, this other brother who had a family, started thinking about his brother being single and everything. And he said, you know what? He, he's single, he's trying to build up his life, he's trying to, you know, build a family and all these other things. He needs some, he needs a little bit more than probably I do at this point in time. So he would do, he would get up in the middle of the night, and he would take grain out of his bin, and he would take it over and put it in his brother's bin. Well, of course, as the story goes, one night, they intersect. And they discover that each of them had the same intent behind their, their, what they, behind their thinking. It's a very powerful story talking about reconciliation because what it really demonstrates and what it communicates is this concept of selflessness. Complete selflessness. That's why I say when we talk about marriage counseling, marriage counseling I think can be summed up in one word called selflessness. 
or you can break it up in three, right? Selflessness. Selflessness. What would our marriages look like if we took on the Spirit of Christ, if we define our marriages as something that says, you know what? This marriage is not about me. It's about her. It's about him. What would our marriages look like? What would our relationships look like if we took on the Spirit of Christ, Philippians 2, took on the Spirit of Christ, and we became individuals that said, this is not about me, this is about the other person. Not just your marriage, but all of your relationships. What would you look like? What would just inner, your inner being become if it wasn't all about me having to be right in situations, me having to win the argument, me having to have my point, my perspective understood because if they don't understand it, that means I'm less of a person and so I need to stand here and dig in and trench in and make sure that my point is communicated clearly either to my wife or to my husband or to someone else in a meeting that I'm at, whatever it is, in other relationships because at the end of the day, if I would truly admit it, I am a fragile person, and if someone doesn't accept my opinion, they're rejecting me. Thank you, World 101 philosophy that many of us are buying into right now. Because it's about me. It's about me. What if it's not about me? What if it's about the other person? Ephesians chapter 5, Paul lays it out what really a relation, true relationship looks like. And it says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy. Cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. You want to have a dynamic, intimate, loving relationship. It starts by saying it's not about me and it's about the other person. Husbands, we are called to love our wives like Christ Jesus loved the church. The church meaning the body. The people that he died on the cross for. The people that have received his free gift of grace and salvation are now called the church. Not these four walls, but we are the church we are the church that comes and does church by praying, by dedicating our children, by listening to the word, by encouraging one another, by helping each other live along these, you know, we're saying let's, let's do this together, let's learn together, but let's not just use it as head knowledge, let's let it transform us. And then that passage would go on to talk about wives submitting to their husbands, which is a word that we have totally taken completely out of context in our world today to where it's just like, fingernails on a chalkboard when you hear that word submit. Let me tell you something, husbands. You love your wives like Christ loved the church. I think your wife will pick up on that. And it's not something where she's just submitting. Women, I'm not some, I'm not talking chauvinism here and all this other stuff. I'm talking about what the word of God says. Your husband is willing to lay his life down for you. I get a sneaking suspicion that you're going, you guys are going to become one pretty quick. Because there is something there that is, it's, it's, number one, it's God-ordained, and that's what happens. And then it goes on and talks about the children. There is an order of things. Guys, I'm sorry, it starts with you. 
And some of us need to take the belt and ratchet down a couple notches and step up and be the person, the leader, the man that God has created and called you to be. Maybe some of our marriages wouldn't look like the way they look. Maybe some of our relationships wouldn't look like the way they look if we would be, if we would be the person that God has called us and created us to be. Women, same thing. But I have a sneaking suspicion that when, when each and every one of us are living out our calling to Jesus Christ, it becomes a lot easier. It becomes a heck of a lot easier. Maybe we should tr stop trying to redefine everything and just do what's already been defined for us. Looks a lot different. This, this looks a lot different. And I think it begs us to ask the question real quick here. You know, what makes me happy? 2 Corinthians verses 5 through 9. This is the, really the text of what we're talking about here. And it says this. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, meaning death, or, you know, we're here on earth, whatever, we make it our aim to do what? To be pleasing to Him. Paul's saying this, whatever you do, whatever your life's about, whatever you're doing, your life is about, your aim of your life should be about pleasing Jesus, about pleasing Christ. So in situations where I'm in a marriage or I'm in a different relationships and it becomes about me or whatever, I'm not pleasing Christ. Now it's about me. Now... The definition of marriage, the definition of relationships, now it's all coming back to me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us per se. It's about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Such a basic one-on-one message, right? It's all about Jesus. If our life is not about Jesus, if it's not about exalting Him, if it's not about glorifying Him, our lives are off. And you're not living in harmony with God. And you will deal with implications of that. Whether it be with your children, with your family, whatever it may be. Your relationships, whatever it may be. Our goal in life is about pleasing. Those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, it's about pleasing Him. It's about glorifying Him. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says we're saved to do what? To do good works. Not for our salvation, but because of our salvation. A demonstration of our salvation that pours out of us. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. My life is about Jesus. Baptisms. It's not me. It's about Jesus. I'm going under the water. I'm dying to myself. I'm coming out. I am about Jesus. My life is about Jesus. Now, I get that we're human. I get that times where we get off point. But at the end of the day, if we have not grasped what we are all about, we are going to be running rogue and dividing our relationships and our marriages because it becomes all about us. And I want to tell you something. I can't how, I tell you how many times I've sat down and counseled married couples and it's extremely evident that we become selfish. I get it. I understand it. We get hurt. Walls come up. We protect ourselves. I get it. But when we get hurt and walls come up, trust breaks off, forgiveness then it ceases. When that stuff happens... Either you're going to live in that cave, in that cocoon, in, behind those walls, and we could be doing it to our families now, even though, even though you know, we, don't, we don't think we're doing it. But when we do that, that's when our marriages and our relationships become stunted, they become stilted, they become, they're, they're off. Because we're focusing on ourselves. I got hurt, and it's not going to happen again. I get that. I get that we're humans. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the one 
that's in control. Jesus wants in charge. Jesus is the one that can help us get through that and get over that and have intimacy within our relationships. But it comes down to how do you define the purpose, not only, I guess, for your life, but also for marriage and relationships and things like that. If it's about you, then you're going to have, you're going to have relationships with walls and unforgiveness, bitterness maybe, and, and some things like that. If it's about pleasing him, you realize it's not about you. It's not about me. We have this, this ministry of reconciliation. And what it means is this. It means that we are about showing Christ to others. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this. And he, Jesus, died for all so that those who live should no longer what? Live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. That's what it's about. 2 Corinthians 4.10. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 2 Corinthians, as the worship team comes back, 2 Corinthians, and I close with this passage of Scripture, 5, 16 and 18 says this, from, then, from now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ as, or in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know Him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, or she is, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Guys, if your life is about, your aim of your life is about pleasing Jesus Christ, you now, every single person sitting in this room now has the ministry of reconciliation. It's sharing the gospel with people that says the, their, 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 their relationship between mankind and God has been reconciled. Through Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, that is, this is the gospel news. We are no longer damned to hell, but we have a Savior that's saying, I love you so much, I'm giving you this free gift of grace and salvation and mercy. And we receive that. Hopefully we receive that, that invitation. And we live our lives for Him. And, we, and we are, the aim of our life is to please Him. And our aim of our life is to share this love with other, other individuals, this gospel, this message of reconciliation with other individuals, that, that, that we are now the bridge, the chasm, or the chasm has been bridged, that we now can have this relationship with God Almighty. And we can be a part of His family. I can't tell you a quicker way to erode the ministry of reconciliation is when that scope comes down and appears on your relationships or on your marriage relationships and it's filled full of divorce, conflict, unresolved issues, and all these other things. How can we share the gospel of Jesus Christ when we're not willing to share it with the other individual within our marriage or our relationships? God is extremely relational. We serve a God that is our Father in Heaven is extremely relational. Study the Trinity. Extremely relational. There's not a single person in here that can hold their head high and puff their chest out and say, I deserve salvation. There's not a single person that deserves the free gift of grace and salvation from the one that is the most holy of holies, but yet out of his love and his extreme relational of who he is, he invites us into this incredible relationship. And he's saying, I want you to share that with others. You now have the ministry of reconciliation, and it starts at home with your wife, your husband, 
your kids. It's about living your life selflessly and not selfish. It's about, it's about focusing on who Jesus is. It's not about campaigning for your rights. It's not about campaigning for your desires or your preferences and all those things where it's like, well, we'll get along as long as you agree with everything that I say. That's not what it's about. It's about us saying, my life is in the hands of Jesus Christ. I now can reach out and love other people. It's not about me. It's about Him. And that's what we're called to do. And if we live those the, the God's way out in our lives, we're going to have intimate marriages. We're going to have intimate relationships, but they're built upon who God is and not who I am. I trust that you would allow the Spirit to just connect with yours right now as we close with one last song. I pray that you would use it as a worship time, as a response time. If you'd like to come and pray, we'd love to pray with you. I pray that, that you allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you. I pray that you may allow the Holy Spirit to challenge some paradigms and precepts that you have cemented in your minds about what relationships, how they function or what they look like. Or maybe this is a time where the Spirit breaks through to you and says, this is about me. This is about God the Father. This is about pleasing Him. And this is about you living in harmony with that. Would you stand as I close with a word of prayer? Father, just give you great thanks for who you are. The love that you have for us. You know that we're human. You know that we get off track. You know we get wrapped around the axle about stuff. You know where our marriages are hurting and suffering because we're, we're being selfish. You know where our other relationships, where they're at, even with other believers, because we're being selfish. And instead of embracing a selfless mindset, a selfless way of living that reflects on who you are and this, this, this ministry of reconciliation, we tend to focus on ourselves enough. But I pray this morning that we would find as the Holy Spirit moves that you love us even though we get off track and you're, you're so willing to, to nudge as you're doing with your spirit right now to bring us back, to change our thinking, to make us love better, to make us love more deeply, to help us understand that it's about you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your presence. May we live in harmony with that. May we reflect day and night. May we meditate on your word. May we just, Father, may we have this intimate relationship starting with you because ultimately, if we're selfish, it's going to hurt and divide create a dissonance in our fellowship with you. May we surrender those things to you this morning. May bitterness be lifted. May unforgiveness be dissipated. May trust be restored so that we can have a more rooted relationship with you. And it's in your most loving name that I pray and ask all these things.